So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, um, we're going to be reading in Luke um, chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they had chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so then when, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and he sent his, his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go, go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then his master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper." Let's pray. Dear Father God, we we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and praise your name and worship you. Uh, Please bless Jackie uh, and give him the words that that you will have us understand and hear. Uh, We say these things in your blessed name. Amen. So as we look at our text this morning, I just want to remind you, kind of an overall context, right? The idea of being ready for the master, right? We want to be found ready. And then the idea also on top of that, laid laid on top of it, to strive now to enter the narrow door. To, to seek that which is more valuable more valuable than all the other things that may distract us now. Not tomorrow, next week, or the next day, but but right now to be looking for that opportunity. And then 
One of the things that Jesus is going to point to in this next section as he's having dinner with the scribes and the Pharisees is one of the keys to that is humility. Probably one of the things we struggle with more often than we want to admit, right? Humility is one of those things where you say, as soon as you say, I'm humble, you're not anymore, right? So there's the, there's the idea that uh, maybe a little foreign to our chemical makeup, this concept of humility. And, and so the Lord's going to give a, a teaching based on that as he talks about this idea of being ready or invited to the Lord's banquet. Have you been invited? Have you answered? Are you coming or not? So it begins with an idea, Jesus being invited over to the scribes in a Pharisee's house. Now I find this interesting, because so often we've already seen scribes and Pharisees are looking to to take him out, looking for a reason to accuse him, looking for a way to get rid of him. Jesus knows it, and they invite him over for lunch, and he says, okay. He doesn't ever stop. The whole time that he is at his ministry on earth, reaching out with the truth, even to those who don't want to hear it, who really are closed off. When we, we've been studying Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and on Wednesday night we got to Isaiah 6, which is kind of the culmination of the concept of Isaiah, which is how does the Israel who is now bad, broken, messed up, become the Israel that the Bible talks about, where everybody's going to come and see the light of the Lord. And the way that happens is that Israel needs to have a touch uh, of the master's hand, needs to be purged, her sins forgiven. And we see this picture laid out for us in Isaiah. And as we look at this picture in Isaiah, we're then reminded that, that that is exactly the role that Jesus Christ is portraying and accomplishing in his ministry on earth. That's what he's going to do, right? So he sits down with them. Now, maybe this group of people, of all groups of people, think they're the less broken. But we'll see today it's not true. And, and I know that I, maybe I beat that drum too much, but the reality is our biggest problem is not thinking we're too broken, Our biggest problem is thinking, yeah, I'm good. And so not having a realistic, and not not with the idea of just pushing us down in a corner and saying, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad person. But with the idea of saying, I need a Savior, I need Jesus. Being able to look at the disappointments in life. Anybody had any? How about this week? Okay? To be able to look at the disappointments in life and be able to say, honestly, from a place in your heart of total surrender to Christ, nevertheless, not my will, but... And we read about Jesus doing it, and we marvel and we ask deep theological questions, but when it comes time for us to do it, we say, no! I don't like it! I'm going to fight for my... Yeah... Which, to be honest, is the opposite of humility. Humility is able to trust God in our situations. And to acknowledge at least the possibility that God's working in whatever is going on. Whatever is a little sideways and out of whack. Is God there? How about this? How about you're a man who is walking around with congestive heart failure. And as a result... You are pretty consistently struggling with fluid, severe fluid retention. And then one day, a bunch of guys who most of the time don't want to talk to you because, you know, you're unhealthy, you don't look so good, they invite you to lunch. And then when you show up to lunch, you find out that the whole lunch is a plot to try to get Jesus. Now, in that moment, when you're there, and, and you see that it's like the nightmares, right, that we have where the, 
where the you know prettiest girl wants to go to the dance with us, only when we show up we find out it's a prank, right? To get the ugliest guy. That never happened to you guys? <laughs> Man, you're missing out on a lot of great experiences. But when we, when we look at that, that's, that's the kind of thing that's happening here. I don't want you to miss that. We, we, we forget about the guy with dropsy. That's what dropsy is. We forget about the guy with dropsy and, and we think about these altercations between Jesus and the Pharisees. But he's a person too. And I bet in that moment, prior to all the things changing in his life, right? He's thinking, man, that's a really lousy thing to do to somebody. Where's the back door? I want out. And I think if we'll be honest and put ourselves in the story, which is the point of the Bible, the Bible's not just something to stick on a wall and look at from the outside, but rather to climb inside of it and put yourself in the story. If you, We could probably say we felt like the man with dropsy more than we felt like most of the other people there. But the point is, in about 10 seconds, everything's going to change for him. See, perspective that we bring into our struggles of life, perspective is important. And when our perspective is not coming from a a position of humility, we become the center of the story. And when I become the center of the story, all I can see is how everything affects me. These dirty, no good for nothing, you know, which high, rich, high societal guys invite me for lunch and it's all just a big prank on Jesus. It's all perspective, right? But it, in like 10 seconds, it's all going to change. The point is, our perspective, how often is your perspective wrong about something? So once again, I'm the only guy that has bad perspective sometimes. It's okay, I'll take it. Sometimes my perspective is messed up. But I'll tell you this, when my perspective is messed up, here's how. It's focused on me. It's not focused on Jesus. And there's not a circumstance on earth that it shouldn't be focused on Jesus and not on me. If I have bowed the knee before the humble king. This is the point that Jesus is going to lead us to. He says, one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. Big wigs. All right? Everybody good? Big wigs. Ruler of the Pharisees. They're watching him carefully. So obviously it is a trap. Okay? This is a trap. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, just get the picture. These guys did not eat with this dude every week. They did not just go, you know what, let's go find that guy that's got that thing where he swells up like a balloon. Oh, you, you're talking about Joe? Yeah, go, go get that guy. Really? It's kind of sick to sit there and just watch him swell while we're eating lunch. No, really, I get him. I, we got to get a good plan. Let's see what Jesus does when he sees him. And so the guy comes, he experiences this thing where all of a sudden, you know, he comes walking in and maybe he don't know where to sit. And so, you know, all the, all the bigwigs, they got their normal seats, right? He don't know where to sit. And as he's looking for a place to sit, there's Jesus standing in front of him. Bang. And for a moment in his mind, maybe he flashes this idea of a skewed perspective. You know, I always got the raw end of the deal. My life has just been one big disappointment after another. But perspective can always change if we'll change where our eyes are focused. So Jesus says to the lawyers and the Pharisees, the lawyers are the guys who tell you what was lawful. You guys with me? Just like today. Only the difference is the lawyers of today, they try to use the Constitution or abuse the Constitution. Okay? The lawyers of then tried to use or abuse the Old Testament. So Jesus asked them a question. He asked him this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, you do a careful reading through Genesis, uh, really Leviticus is where you're going to want to focus, but you go through the books of Moses, through what they would have called the law, you will not find one verse that says, 
You cannot heal on the Sabbath day. However, you will find in the writings of men a lot of traditions that did say you can't. Interesting, no? So Jesus' question to them really is, whose law are you guys really focused on? God's? Or yours? And in reality, that question could just as easily be asked to the man with dropsy who's looking for the back door and hoping he can get out any second. Because he thinks this is yet just another cruel joke in his life. Because his eyes still, where's your eyes focused? On yourself or on Jesus standing right in front of you? He's right there with you. But they remain silent. They, they, they know they can't say anything because whatever they say, right, is going to be wrong. Do you ever have those kind of discussions maybe with your wife or husband? You get asked a question and you know if I answer this question, it's, it's bad both ways. My wife asked me that one time. I can't remember how it went. It was something like we're driving down the road and we're talking about somebody and she said, do you think she's pretty? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not answering that question at all. I'm pretty sure that this is going to work out bad no matter what I do. So I'm claiming the fifth. (laughs) Well, here the Jesus lays it out. They have no way to respond. They have no answer. So he took and healed him. He reaches out and touches a man with dropsy. Now, when he, to heal a man with dropsy or with that severe water retention, he had to remove the problem. And the problem was congestive heart failure. So the guy's going to die. But Jesus heals him. But then look what he does. He heals him and says, get out of here, man. You don't want to be here. Now, when the guy thought when he came in, man, this is just another cruel joke in my life. But in reality, what was it? It was an opportunity for the Lord God Almighty to be glorified as he touches yet another soul and says, look, I can take a broken man and make him whole. And then he says to the man who's made whole, there's a bunch of broken guys around here. You better get out of here before this this gets crazy. And the dude with dropsy couldn't wait to leave. Right? Right? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm out of here. And so he goes on his way. Verse 5, it says, And he said to them, (laughs) the, the lawyers and the Pharisees, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well (coughs) on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they still are quiet. Going to be quiet going to be quiet because the reality jesus is asking him is it is it against the law on the sabbath to have compassion for someone who's broken or isn't that the point and if it was the point for christ in his earthly ministry why can't it be the point for us to have compassion for the broken to have compassion for those who mess up We got anybody who ever messes up in here? So there's like six of us, so have compassion on us. (laughs) To be compassionate, to have that kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus Christ had. Not that he wouldn't address issues, but that he, he cared about them. He cared, but they can't answer. So first part of the test, Jesus comes in, they try to trick him, and Jesus recognizes, here's the real problem With the invitation to the banquet, with your invitation, you inviting me to lunch was not a statement of humility. You're inviting me to lunch was not a statement of humility. But God inviting you to his banquet is. Because he should not ever have to. But he does. And if we come to the realization that when Jesus came, he said to those who would follow him, right, come follow me, that we would take from him the examples he lays out before us and make those a 
a part of our life. So it says, it says, now he told a parable to those who were invited. So the first parable, he says, let me explain to you guys what just happened here. Let me explain it to you guys. So first he starts with all the guys who got invited. Not the hosts, but the ones who were invited. He says, look, I noticed how you chose your places. So he said to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, uh, look, you don't get to sit here at the table of honor. You go to the kid's table. Lest someone be more distinguished and he invited you say, give your place to this person. And you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself, he will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he starts by laying out for the scribes and the Pharisees who are there. Hey, look, when, when I came in, I noticed all you guys clamoring for the best seats. Now, the best seats in their mindset, was to be as close to the guy who invited them as possible. So right, the right hand and the left hand, and then each chair that's closest to him was, is of more honor. So it, it, it intimates that you have a, a better relationship with the one who's invited you. It, it, it intimates that, that you are somehow more deserving of the honor of anyone else that's in the room. So if you sat right to the right hand or right to the left hand of the guy, you're saying to everyone, hey, I'm better than all of you. Which is not uncommon. How many times when we look at the, the things the disciples say to one another, did they argue over who should be the greatest? Right? How many times did they say, we're arguing about who's the best? Humility? No. It's not. So Jesus says, take the low place. Don't be ashamed, frustrated, or angry about taking the low place. The God of the universe, who by all the philosophies of mankind we can't even begin to fathom, left the glory that the Son had with the Father before the creation of the world to become an infant child. He who is totally other and is the... I don't want to get too complicated. The, <laughs> the only truly necessary being in the whole universe became a being that needed someone else to care for him feed him, to change him. That's the humble king. When we say, I won't humble myself, I should be treated better than this. I should be exalted higher than this. Then we're saying to the one who, who somehow came across that chasm, that's a big, you and I, when we humble ourselves the most, that we're ever humanly going to humble ourselves are not even in the realm that Jesus Christ is in. We're not, even, we're not even close in that realm where Jesus Christ is. But he's saying, that's the example, right? To, to make yourself humble. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do, I'm, I'm willing to be what you want me to be, Jesus. It's crazy. You can test it anytime if you want to work at a church. Because all you have to do is walk through the foyer and see a trash can full of trash, a trash dripping out onto the floor, and think to yourself, man, that ought to be somebody around here to take that out. <laughs> or Hot chocolate spilled from one end of the foyer to the other. And think, man, where are those servants to come mop this up? 
In reality, God calls us all. That job's not above me. It's not above my responsibility to say, trash needs to go out, so take the trash out. Floor needs mop, so mop the floor. Bathroom needs clean, so clean the bathroom. Sunday school needs taught, so teach Sunday school. Whatever the thing. Jesus is calling these guys to recognize that God wants humility. The willingness to not exalt self, which really flies in the face of the current philosophy of the land. We tend to want to exalt self rather than humble self. In Philippians 2.3, Paul to the church at Philippi says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, listen, count others more significant than yourself. Which others? Well, let's just start with all the others, and then we'll go down from there. How's that? Just count everyone. What about the person who comes in and is demanding something of me? Don't they know already how humble I'm being? <laughs> yeah, maybe God sent them just to, just to get you to ask yourself that question. Consider other people more significant, meaning more important. Than me. You know? You were a little bit late this morning and somebody sat in your chair. Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's like six people that said, yeah, that happened today. Yeah. So, in humility, consider others more significant. Let them sit in your, who cares? There's always seats available up front, guys, in case you can't get the seat you're used to. The front row's always open. We we want to have this attitude of humility. It's everywhere in the scripture calling us to this attitude. In Proverbs 25, it says, Do not put yourself before, or don't put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great, for it's better to be told, Come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Isn't that the same thing Jesus said? Just take the low seat. Just be okay. Ninety. The Bible says, James says, where do all these fights and contentions come from among you? They come from your pride. That's where they come. You want to stop having contention? It don't even take two people to do this. Just one person decides they'll be humble. Strife goes away. Strife comes back when I fight for my rights. If I just lay them down, me and my wife never argue. We never get the bickerlies. We never, I can't argue with her today. It's her birthday and she's not even home. So it's the, it's the day she gets no arguing from me, which makes it easy on me because she is teaching a retreat right now. And she don't get home until tonight. So I only got to do it for a couple of hours. The reality is, if I just choose to be humble and stop fighting for my my own rights or my own ideas or my own whatever, there's nothing to disagree. It all all those things go away. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Lowly in spirit, he who will take the place or position of humility. Isaiah sixty six two. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite toward my word. He who is humble, not self-exalting, he who is humble and being contrite means responding to the word. When, when the word, when, you know, we've all felt that. Maybe we read something, we saw something, we heard something, and it convicts us. And there's something inside of us that wants to respond to that word. That's being contrite. Or it's the feeling of contrite. You actually become contrite when you do it. When you say, okay, Lord, you know, whatever, forgive me or help me or whatever the, whatever the, the conviction is that's come. Because the word declares that 
When we take the path of the humble, God will raise us up. Luke 18, 14. We'll get there in a, in a couple of minutes. Probably not. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Sounds familiar, don't it? Now, Jesus says this over and over and over again. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. That, by the way, implies there might be a, a period of time between your humility and your exaltation. You okay with that? I humbled myself yesterday, and I've not been exalted yet. <laughs> Just relax. <laughs> the Lord will exalt you when it's time. When is it time? When you see the Master. When you see the Master, there is exaltation. Might it come before then? Sure. But certainly at that point, certainly at that time. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says, for not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one, lifting up another. Can we submit to the hand of God? It's much easier if we can just give ourselves the past that says, Let's, why don't we just try this? Let's try to assume God is working every day. In every moment of your life. Let's just assume that whatever struggles, pitfalls, and, and, and mountaintop experiences that you've had, God has been there orchestrating it all. Let's, let's just go with that idea. Can you just submit to Him in the moment? Nevertheless, Lord, your will. The boss passed over me for a promotion. God's there. He is still on the throne. He didn't forget you. Remember, it's a question of perspective. Whose eyes are you looking through? Your own, focused on self, or our eyes focused on what the Lord is doing? So this is what he lays out. This is the illustration he gives to everyone who's invited. Don't exalt yourself, humble yourself. Don't exalt yourself, humble yourself. Then he looks to the guy who invited him. The bigwig, the ruler of the Pharisees, right? He looks to him, verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. That pretty much marks out everybody I ever want to invite. <laughs> right? Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Crazy. You know those same four terms come straight out of Leviticus where the Lord says these four he's describing those whose brokenness separates them from being able to come to the temple they, they can't enter into corporate worship because they're broken and, and one of the things that God requires in Leviticus is therefore be ye perfect as I am perfect. Now the ones that we can see physically, right? You guys get the idea. We can see these imperfections. Those are easy. Everybody else just fakes perfection. So you have this same group. Now, now when I say they weren't able to approach God, that doesn't mean they couldn't be saved. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus is going to tell a story about the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story? Lazarus is a poor beggar who spends his life crawling around in the street eating scraps, never catches a break his whole life, he goes to Abraham's bosom as the righteous dead. And the rich man, he goes to what we would call hell. So 
being broken, poor, outcast didn't disconnect you from being able to be saved. It was all an illustration to illustrate that which separates us from God. It should be easy to see. It should be so easy for us to see that which separates me from God. It's as easy as seeing a man with no legs and understanding what separates him from me. I can see that, and I should be able to see this too, right? We talked about that wide chasm that the Lord Jesus Christ crosses in the incarnation. So he says, look, these are the broken. You invite them. Invite them over. Because they can't give you nothing back. They're not going to invite you back because they don't have a house. They're not going to repay you because they don't have any money. Nobody really likes them, so you're not going to climb a social, social circles. Right? None of your friends are going to say, Woohoo! Yeah, I want to hang out with you. No, you got all those people over today. We'll stay, we'll stay home. Jesus said to the man who invited him, Instead of inviting all these other guys, reach out to the poor. This is the stance of humility. The wealthy is humble in his compassion toward others. And we, ladies and gentlemen, are the wealthy. Most of us drove here. Some of us got to choose what we drove. Yeah, we're the wealthy. You want to understand how God looks at the, the, the people of means who don't care about the poor? Read Ezekiel 16. That's God's condemnation of those who had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they didn't care about the poor, blind, lame. The same groupings that Jesus is laying out for us here. What's our, <clears throat> what's our attitude of humility? Jesus is telling them, here's what would be humble for you, master of the, of the Pharisees, ruler of the Pharisees, big wig in town. Man, it would be really great if you did one of these feasts for them. If you provided for them. He says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you will be repaid, where? At the resurrection of the just. Because God's saying, when you humble yourself, God says, I will do what? I will lift you up. If you will humble yourself, God says, I will lift you up. All of this is about having an attitude of humility. Having an attitude of humility from the man with dropsy to the guys who are looking for the best seats to the guy who invited all his rich friends. Jesus is saying, what if we took a stance of humility? What if we decided that that was the best thing? And then one of the guys who was sitting there, we don't know who, in verse 15 it says, <clears throat> when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, yeah. He should get a badge. Captain Obvious. Yeah, right on for sure. Blessed is everyone who eats there. Everyone who is, in, who is at the banquet of the king. I almost said everyone who's invited, but that would be everybody on earth. But it's everyone who's at the banquet. Everyone who's at the banquet. It's an interesting aspect because Jesus is going to use this to segue to another point. And in this point, he's kind of going to lay out the illustration of the invitation to the kingdom of God. What's it like? Who will be there? <clears throat> How does this all work? So he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, it's time. Everything is ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, You know, I bought a field. 
And I think I need to go check it out. Please have me excused. Another said, well, I got five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. I need to be excused. And another said, I'm married. (laughs) I'm going to not make any jokes. I'm married. I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant reported these things to the master. And the master of the house became, what does it say? Angry. So the invitation is out. Now, he's going to describe other invitations in a moment. But the idea is the invitation has gone out. And those who have been invited are finding reasons not to come. Now, two things are being done when this happens. Um, The second, the one we'll probably talk less about, is they are shaming the master of the banquet. It would have been a public shame for the friends of the master who's having this big banquet not to come. To reject their invitation would be to shame him. That's, That's one of the reasons for the anger. But the other thing is, they're just plain indifference. The first guy says, I have a field to inspect. My property takes precedence over the banquet of the kingdom. My property, it's pretty important. I got a lot of that. Probably in here, we got a lot of people who have a lot of property. We have at least a few farmers. Ranchers. In this case, it was the property that was keeping them from coming. They, they weren't going to answer the invitation. They weren't going to come. They're invited, but they're not going to come. Because their property takes precedence. The, the second group says he has oxen to examine. Well, oxen, that's my stuff. My stuff takes precedence. I got, I got oxen. You know, that's, uh, that's a couple of four-wheel drives, maybe a four-wheeler or two. Uh, probably has a Harley in the mix, maybe even a Honda. You know, there's... <laughs> i got to throw those out sometimes because it's, it's okay. I love you if you ride a Honda. <laughs> or a Kawasaki or even a scooter. What are those things called? Somebody knows the name of a scooter. Come on, help me. A Huba? Vespa. Okay, we'll go with Vespa. I love you, even if you ride a Vespa. Has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Okay? But, this guy has stuff. And he says, I gotta go, I gotta go shine up my stuff. I gotta go look at my stuff. His stuff takes precedence over the invitation to the kingdom. The banquet of the kingdom. The king is inviting. Yeah, you know what? I gotta take care of my stuff. I gotta take care of my property. I gotta take care of my stuff. And the third one, my marriage takes precedence over the kingdom. Yeah, it's my my family. That's that's really the important thing. Now, that's a dangerous path, huh? Because we also know that scripture says that a man doesn't care for his family is worse than an unbeliever, so there's gotta be some care for the family, right? Sure, got to be some. The, the question is what takes preeminence? What has a position of prominence? You're responding to the invitation of the king? Or taking care of your family? Because there will be a lot of people who chose taking care of their family who, when the master closes the door, will bang on the door and say, Lord, open, and he'll say, I don't know where you're from. Who are you? I gave my invitation. All you had to do was enter now through the narrow door, right? Strive now to enter. The invitation's gone out. The, 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 the king has invited, and, and there are some, not all, there are some who have rejected that invitation, right? So what does the king do? He gets his army, and he sends them over, and he drags those guys out of their house, and he puts them up on a wall and whoops them. Oh, wait, no, that's not how it goes. How's the story go? He decides to invite whosoever will come. 
The Bible says in the Gospel of John that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. But to as many as have received him, to them gave he the power to become children of God. To get into the banquet. You have the, the rejection, the, the attitude that says, you know, I've I got other things to do. I got other things to do. And so it says, the master of the house said to his servant, go out quickly. Now. Why? Because today's the day. Now's the time. It's not tomorrow. When the Bible talks about things about salvation, it's immediate. Hey, now. Don't wait. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not a month from now. Now. Now is the time. So he says to the servant, go out quickly to the streets, the lanes, the city, <coughs> and bring in. The poor, crippled, blind, and lame. He's pretty sure they don't have anything going on. Probably not a lot of other people have invited them to a banquet. Right? So here the king says, you know what? Let's get them. Go get them. Go out and find anybody. Compel them to come. He's going to go so far. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still more room. We still got room. So he says, Well, get back out there. Go out to the highways, hedgeways, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Go take anybody, whosoever, everyone, anyone, all people, bring them all to the banquet. They're all invited. So this is a big banquet. Right? This is a big banquet. Isaiah chapter 25 talks about this banquet. Isaiah 25 verse 6 says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He's going to tear down the middle wall of separation. That's how Paul described it. Anything that separates all peoples. He's going to say, come to the feast. Come be a part. He will swallow up death for how long? Forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from how many faces? All faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Waiting at the door for the moment when the master would come so that I could open the door and be found Ready. We've been waiting for this day. He says, I'll take away all their reproach. All their reproach means all the times that they humbled themselves and people trampled them. All the times when they laid down and somebody came by and used them as a mat. All the times when they just came crawling up begging for a piece of bread. And whoever it was gave them derision, poured out their derision upon them and walked away. The Lord says, I'm going to remove all your reproach. Because you humbled yourself. Now I'm going to do what? I'm going to lift you up. So amazing. If you can understand the beauty of what God promises to do. The key is this. If if I continue to be the guy who's going to fight for my rights. I'm not humbling myself. There's no exaltation. I'm I'm not making a statement about salvation, although I do think in order to to come to a place of salvation, the whole point of it is is a statement of humility, right? I can't do this myself, Lord, I need you. But the idea of of living a life marked by humility, the Bible says Moses was the most humble guy on the face of the earth. He still was a leader of a people, but he was humble. He was humble because he followed the example of the humble king. And here we have God exalting, lifting them up. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Man, it's amazing. It's amazing. This is like a picture of that feast. 
that the guy said, man, it'll be great to eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Here it's described well, where, where God lifts people up, wipes away their tears, puts away death. There is no death. Takes his people, who his people, who the one thing that marks his people is that they've been a reproach. Means everybody else did what? Look down at them. Why did they look down at them? Maybe because they're so quick to be humble. It was funny because if you look at church history, it's an incredible study. If you ever are <laughs> intrigued by such a thing, it's, it's a great opportunity to look. And you look into the early church, 1st, 2nd century in Rome. And Rome, to Rome, Christians were an utter reproach. And they're just weird. They're always feeding their poor and ours, Rome would say. They're taking care of their widows and ours. Just weird. They take a position of humility, and the world does not appreciate humility. We, we may give it lip service. You guys know what I mean? Especially like in the United States, I, I find it funny sometimes... The, the concept of humility and the idea of patriotism, those, those seem to be headed toward a conflict. Now, I'm as much a patriot as anybody. I was in the Marine Corps, went wherever they told me, did whatever they told me to do, and, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to have done that. But I think there's some questions of Humility that come out of the idea of sometimes out of out of the idea of being maybe in a in a position where that's unbalanced rather than a position of humility humble wow it's it's just incredible the call for humility in the pages of scripture fill my house I want it full then what does he say for I tell you None of these men who were invited will taste my banquet. These men who are invited are those who had excuses. For whom their property or their stuff or their family was, was more important than coming, than answering the invitation. <clears throat> and so he says these... There won't be there. It was described earlier in chapter 13 like this. The day will happen when the master will come. And when he comes, he's going to close the door. Strive now to enter through the narrow way. Strive now. Answer the, the invitation. Come to the Lord. But I think in, in the... <clears throat> kind of in the shadow of the idea is this concept to live a life humble. Stop all the strife, all the conflict, all the anger, all the animosity, all the bitterness, all of that stuff, guys, malice, it all goes away. If I humble myself and I'm able to say, your will be done, Lord. You're moving. You're working. If you don't want this thing that has come to happen... It'll go away. And if this is what you want, then I humbly submit. Man, sometimes that's illness. Sometimes that's poverty, season of, of struggle financially. But it's all worth it. And, it. and it frees us. It's so freeing to find the, the ability to say, you know what? I'm not going to be driven by this attitude of self-promotion anymore. I'm not looking for self-exaltation. Whatever you want to do, Lord, make me humble. Make me humble. One of the things that Jesus said 
He said, they will know that you are mine by the way you love each other. And one of the keys for us in this room as a body to be able to love each other is for us to choose humility, not exaltation. To say, I'm, I'm willing to be humble. And that's something we have to ask ourselves about pretty much on a moment-by-moment basis, no? Because any given moment, the flesh can rise up. Anybody have one of those things? Yeah. Me too. Me too. But I, I can promise you this. This is what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. When my flesh rises up, I'm wrong 100% of the time. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. So, then I know I'm wrong. <laughs> Even if I, I might think I'm right, I know I'm wrong. Oh, I'm too mad about this. I'm too mad about this. So what does God want us to do? Man, just... Lay it down before him. Get a picture in your mind of Gatshmone, Gethsemane. Jesus laying on a rock and looking forward to where he's headed to Jerusalem. And being able to say to his father, uh, I'm not looking forward to what's coming. And if there's any other way, I'd sure rather take it. But the humble king said, Nevertheless, it's not about me. It's about you, Father. So your will be done. There's so much freedom in that. I just want to invite you to come along with me on a journey. Enjoying the freedom that Jesus tried to teach to Pharisees that they couldn't get. To follow the example of the humble king. Amen. Why don't you stand with me. Let's pray. Father God we thank you so much. For the truth of your word. God that it is. Absolutely the final arbiter. In all discussion or dispute. God I pray. That we would allow the word. To change us. That our attitude would be, no, this has the preeminence. So teach us to be humble, God. Because we want to be in that place, at that feast, in that moment when, Lord, you look over the, the masses of your people and you say, I remove your reproach. All those times people took advantage of you, the Lord says, I saw I remove your reproach. I'm going to lift you up. On that day, in that moment, no one's going to say, you know what, it was horrible. All those times I chose humility. On that day, we will be filled with the exaltation as we look into the eyes of our Savior and King and see pleasure there. Well done, good and faithful one. God, teach we, your people, humility. Make us humble, men and women. Help us in our attitudes as we face the day tomorrow to say, I choose humility. Help us in our struggles today to say, I choose humility. That God be exalted. Because the word of God declares that if Jesus Christ is lifted up by my actions of putting, taking the place low. Taking that low place of humility. That Jesus Christ is lifted up. He says, I'll draw all men to myself. And then on that day at that feast. What, what would we trade? To see our Savior walk over to us as we kneel there and our heads are bowed and He stops before us and He reaches His hand below our chin and He lifts us up and He wipes away the tears. 
And he says, well done. What would you trade now for that? Lord God, whatever stands in our way, I pray we trade it now and strive to enter through the narrow gate. The door is open. Today's the day and now is the time. Be exalted in our humility. Be exalted as we submit ourselves to the Master's hand. As we allow you to do your perfect work. And whether through us you build a kingdom or through us you bring one down or through us you just have us feed sheep or take care of goats. I pray, Lord God, we would choose the path of the humble king. Lord Jesus, be exalted in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.